We're already in December, y'all. December. This year is coming slowly to um, to an end, and it's um, it's been obviously a tremendous year. It's been something special, and, and what we've learned, the one thing that was constant this year is that there's going to be change. Right. Uh, it was always going to be changed. Uh, when you thought you reached the peak, there was always something else. There's always something else. And our lives have changed so much. Uh, when I was on the way here, they were announcing on, on the radio a concert. One of those big Christian groups is coming to town and it's going to be a drive in concert in West Palm Beach. Now, if last year at that time you told somebody, hey, you want to go to a concert and we're going to stay in our cars. It's like staying in the parking lot. They would have looked at you funny, right? Um, was it last week or week before was Thanksgiving? Uh, some many people had virtual Thanksgiving. If you would have told your mom last year, "Mom, no, I'm not coming over. I'm going to watch you on the on Zoom," she would have. Uh, she wouldn't cuss you out because she's Christian, right? But she would have disowned you. Because you would have to be present. If you went, I went to the bank the other day, right? And you go in the bank, now you have to have your mask. It, 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 before, if you went in the bank with, with a mask, they look at you funny, right? The security guard already put his hand on his gun and, and, and you take your, you, to grab your pen and you find yourself on the floor because you're, you have a mask. But now if you go to the bank and you don't have your mask, then now they look at you funny because everybody has to have a mask. Everything changes. And here, you know, I make no bones about it. I love Florida. I think Florida is a great state. Uh, I love it here. I love the people. I love you guys. You know, I would tell you to say I love you, but, you know, we'll wait after COVID to do that. But I love, I love the state. Weather is nice. Uh, people generally are nice. Uh, it, it's a great state. But the one thing that we don't have in Florida that we have elsewhere is, at least not here in the South, is the change of the colors. Right. Uh, when I was up north, you know, fall is coming when the leaves are changing colors. They become those bright yellow and orange and and um, and that's the fall season. And then it leads to to the to the winter. And in the winter, the trees look dead, but they're not dead. You know, they're coming back next year. But before right before it gets to that point, when I was a kid in elementary school, they used to take us on a field trip and they used to take us on a field trip to the orchard. You know, that's where you get the apples that we used to go and climb up the trees and pick apples. And, and then at the end, you would end up with a big bag and then you would count them and you would add them up. Uh, now, I don't know if the kids, they maybe they do that kind of field trip, but that's something I, I remember of my childhood. You would go and you would pick apples and then you would add them up. Right. You would add them up uh, as you go home and you would compete with your homeboy. Uh, so I got 21 or I got 25 and, and you add them up. So this morning, I want to talk to you about adding them up, adding them up. And I'm going to ask you to please open your Bibles with me in Second Peter, chapter one. And we're going to read verse three to verse 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. For this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, 
and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of your Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Amen. Amen and amen. The um, Second Peter is the last book of Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter is one of the greatest men of God that we have in the Bible. I know you, you could compete with, oh, no, it was Paul, and, and, and I know it was, but I think Peter had a very significant place in, in the start of the church. Though we read more about Paul, when Paul had an issue, he went to Jerusalem and asked pretty much the blessing of Peter and the others. And, 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 and Jesus told Peter, I will build my church on the rock, right? And it's talking about, and Peter, his name means Petra. Uh, but we remember Peter more for a lot of times for his his downfall. While we remember Peter, um, because the night Jesus was crucified, um, he had said, oh, even if those other, they betray you, they deny you, I will never deny you. I'm going to stand with you till the end. And, and he was convinced in his heart that he would stand for Christ till the end. But when the pressure came, when, 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 when the heat started, started rising, he had to get out of the kitchen, right? When the heat started rising, he couldn't handle it and he denied it, denied Christ not one time, not two times, but three times. But three times. And we remember him for that. Uh, a, a lot of times, how, how, how many people know, you remember some people because of their shortfall and not because of their destiny. You remember what they did wrong in the past, regardless of their future. Um, and depending how you were in high school, there's some friends you don't want, you don't want to see, right? You don't want to see them because they saw you when you were down. And, and now that you're, maybe you're in a better place, you, you're afraid they're going to bring you back to that, to that bad spot in life. Um, and, and that's kind of what's happening with Peter. We, we think of Peter, we think of the guy who denied Christ. Uh, we, we don't, we, it, don't, you know, we forget about the others that left from the mountain, right? They didn't even go down to find out what was going to happen. They, they left from the mountain. At least Peter went down to find out what was going to happen. But when you look at the life of Peter, he goes from denying Christ, the night of the crucifixion, and then he goes from that point into standing up to the government officials that tell him, do not preach in, preach in the name of Jesus. We forbid you to preach in the name of Jesus. And he stands in front of them and he says, listen, you, go, you guys can do whatever you want to us. But we cannot not speak about what we've seen and what we've witnessed. And he goes to jail and they beat him up like they beat Jesus. And, and, and what we know about Peter's life, um, after he wrote Second Peter, they took him to Rome. And in the book of Second Peter, he says, you know what? I'm ready. 
I'm ready. He's at the stage of his life where he's, re- he's ready to go. He says, I know they're going to come for me, and, and I'm good. And they come for him, and they go ahead to crucify him. Because that was the capital punishment at the time. And as they're about to crucify Peter, Peter says, no, I am not worthy to die the same way my Lord died. Don't crucify me right side up. Crucify me upside down. And he went and he got crucified upside down. And so we ask ourselves, what takes a man like Peter to, that was, um, I don't want to use it, but that was a coward on, on, on the night of the crucifixion to a bold witness of Christ. To the point that he would die, and not only die, he would die crucified upside down. What makes a difference in the life of a man like this? And what can make a difference in our lives? And we have it in verse 3 where it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And we, what we find is after the crucifixion, when Jesus rose, Jesus told the disciples, they were talking theology and all that. Said, okay, you don't need to know all of that. What you need to do, you need to wait in Jerusalem. You all go in Jerusalem and you pray because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the extent of the world. And, and that's what happened. They got together and they prayed and they received power. They received power. And sometimes we think about Christian life and we think we're trying to do it on our own. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't have to do it on your, on your own. You have to rely on the power of God. You have to rely on the presence of God. And so it says, his power gave us everything. Right, so, so you have right now everything you need to live a godly life. And that is God's goal. The God's goal for our lives, and a lot of times we talk about purpose. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? One thing that you can be sure that is everybody's purpose is as we live a godly life for Christ. Is that we live in a way that is pleasing to God. And it reminds us, okay, what is a godly life? Well, a godly life is a God-like life. It's when you live like Jesus Christ. It's like you, you, it's like if they look at you, they would see Jesus Christ. That's, that's a godly life. A godly life is that when you walk, you walk like Jesus. There was a missionary in the Middle East. He went, he preached the gospel, he died, they buried him. Another missionary came years later and he started preaching them about Jesus and they said, well, we know him. So what do you mean you know him? Well, he was here. He lived here. What do you mean he lived there? Well, he lived there like so many years ago, and actually his tomb is here. And they brought them, brought him to the tomb of the other missionary. Because that missionary in his life exemplified Christ so much that he that they missed that there was a mistake, right? They they mistaken the identity. They, you're talking to me about somebody that's kind. When I know somebody that's kind, you're talking about somebody that's patient. I know somebody that's patient. And, and they they mistakenly thought that the missionary was Jesus Christ. If I look at your life, if you look at my life, would there be a mistake of identity? And so he says in verse in verse four, he says through these. He has given us every great precious promise, promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And when I was reading this, I got a little confused because he said um, promises. 
so that you may participate, right? And sometimes when you think about promises, you think about the future, something that's to come. But then he says participate, that's present, something that's happening now. And I was thinking, I was a little confused when I was reading. But then I, I realized, well, if it's a promise from God, because God never lies, if he makes a promise with his mouth, then he's going to do it. So when God makes you a promise, it's like cash that you can take to the bank. And the promises that he made is that right now you can participate, you can partake in the divine nature of God. And so it's that difference. When we you got saved, you, you made a choice. You made a choice. But what you need to understand is that before you made that choice, God made the choice for you. He chose you to participate with him. And there is no greater glory. Imagine you have a rich person coming to tell you, say, oh, you want to go to New York? Come on my private jet. You would be elated. But there is more here in Christ Jesus. But what I want to bring your attention to is verse 5. And verse 5 says, for this reason, because we have the promises, because we have, we can participate in, in the divine nature. It says, for that reason, make every effort. Make every effort. If I ask you about your, your, your spiritual life, my spiritual life, can you really say you're making every effort? The problem with our generation is we like everything to be easy. We like everything to be fast. We have microwave, it's fast. We don't go to the library anymore because we can Google everything. And we, we don't read books because we have blogs. And, and we, we, um, we get everything so fast. And so it's so easy so that, so that we're not used to fight. And I want to tell you this morning that for Christian life, it's not going to be easy. The person that told you, and I might be me, and I apologize if it was me, that come to Jesus, everything is going to be easy, they lied to you. It's not true. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be worth it, but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. You have to fight. You have to fight. You need to have that attitude that you're going to be like, 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 like a boxer, and you, you're going in the ring, and you're going to fight. You're going to fight. You have to fight. It says, for this reason, because you participate, make every effort. I remember there was a game, and it's not necessarily a good game, and do not advise to do that, that we used to do when I was in high school. You would take a um, a quarter, right? And, and you, all the boys, were, they were in a circle, and you throw the quarter in the middle, and now everybody starts to fight to see who's going to get the quarter. Right. And you, and then if you dare go, then everybody tries to kick you. It's like one of those, you know, stupid high school games. But you would fight because you wanted to get the prize. And that was a quarter. You know, when you're broke, a quarter is a lot. But you would fight for it. You would go and fight. And, and, and it's the same for spiritual life. You have the greatest prize that you could ever imagine, but you have to fight. You have to fight. And he starts and he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So first you have the faith. And faith is free. Faith is when you accept Christ. It's when you accept Christ and, and, and you, you, you just say yes. And that happens in a moment, right? God reveals himself to you, whether you were at church, whether you were at camp, whether you were in your, in your, in, in your room, or whether you were in your car and you heard a message and, and you decided, you know what, I'm going to give my life to Christ and you receive Christ. And that happens in an instant. That happens in a moment and you're born again. You're transformed. And, and, and that faith is what saves you, saves you. 
When you receive, when you come into relationship, Jesus says eternal life is that they know you, that they are in relationship with you, the one true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. That is eternal life, that we come. It's kind of if we go back to the life of Peter, when, when Jesus asked them, who do people say that, that I am? And they gave all different answers. And then Jesus asked them, says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, he says, you are the Messiah, Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a moment. That's faith. When you recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that happens in a moment. But everything else happens in the process. And he says, the faith add goodness. And it, by goodness, you want to say is virtue. And Shelby, you can press the button. Everyone, just press the button. That's it. And, and so you have... Goodness, goodness is virtue. Goodness is when now you decide you're going to have a moral compass. You have morality. When you receive Christ, I remember when I received Christ, I was nine years old. They, they, they made the call and, and, um, I try to go up there and I'm next to my parents and my parents go, where you going? Go to Wally, go to Wally. And I go up there and I felt cleansed. And I felt like, you know, my mom came after and said, oh, you want money to go to the store? I said, no, I don't want to go. I don't want money. I'm like, I felt like I was an angel in heaven. Now, if you give me money, I'm going to take it. You want to give me some money? I'll take it. But when you receive Christ, there's a change. You, you don't relate. You don't. The stuff that was in the world, you're saying goodbye to this, and now you're, you're, you're trying to live a life of virtue. A life of virtue, now you have a moral compass. Now you have a sense of what is good and what is bad. Now you, you want to live a life of honesty and modesty. You're saved. Now you, you know you don't answer to yourself anymore. Before, you would do whatever. But now you can't just do whatever because there's somebody else in the mix. There's somebody else in your heart. And now you, you want to behave in a way that is, that is different. And that is virtue. That is goodness. It's a sense of morality. That's a sense of, of morality because of God. Because God is in your life, you just don't act anyway anymore. But he says, okay, so to faith, you, you add goodness. And now, you, now you decide, I'm adopting God's ways. But then from virtue or goodness, let's use virtue, now you have to add knowledge. And you add knowledge, you're acquiring God's truth. You're acquiring the Word of God. And the Bible says, my ways are not your ways. As far deep as the ocean is, so so are my ways way above your ways. Like, it's, it's not even close. Like, you might think this way, I'm thinking that way. Like, it's so... But the more knowledge you acquire, the more Bible you ingest, the more narrow the gap becomes. Now, when you acquire knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of Him, now your ways become more and more like His ways. Your ways become more and more like His ways. And that's the, that's the, 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 the starting point. It's like if you, you sow a seed in the ground, and that's what happens in a moment, right? You, you dig, you put the soul, that, that's, that's just faith. But that faith, you have to water it. And you water it with the Word of God, with the knowledge of the Word of God, and you increase the knowledge of the Word of God. And, 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 and sadly, because we live in that generation of fast, we've lost 
the capacity to study the word of God because our minds are not used to studying. And then, but it's really a lie because when it comes to nursing, you know everything you need to know about nursing. When it comes to accounting, you know everything you need to know about accounting. Whatever your major is in college, you know everything that you need to know to pass that exam. When it comes to your favorite TV shows, you know everything there is to know about that TV show. Like some shows I watch, you ask me, I'm going to tell you, oh yeah, that character, but when it comes to the word of God, do we go the extra mile to acquire knowledge? And the, the problem is we fool ourselves to think, you know, the Bible says God made men to his image. But with the fall, we're making God into our, our image. And we're making God in the way. So we think that God is like us. If we're a judgmental person, we think that God is judgmental. If we're a lenient person, we think that God is lenient. If we're impatient, we think that God is impatient. And we make God into our image. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God doesn't change. God is on the throne and he doesn't change. It is the same in the past, the present, and the future. We can change. We can transform. And we can become more and more like Christ. But you're not going to be able to become more and more like Christ if you don't know more and more of the word of Christ. You have to acquire knowledge. But most of us, the problem is not with knowledge. Most of us, we know what is good. The problem becomes now with self-control. We know what is good, we know what is bad, but we need self-control. And self-control is when we apply the Word of God. It's when we apply the truth of God. So you have faith when you, you're born again. Now you decide, okay, you know what, I'm going to follow God's ways. But then how do you know what God's ways are? You have knowledge, you add knowledge, you study the Word, you get into the Word, you go to Bible study, you, you buy a book, you buy a book. Now we don't read books anymore because we got blogs. But there is more work and more wisdom that goes into making a book than making a blog. You can make a blog in, in, in an afternoon, but a book takes months. So if you want to get the richness of the author, you need to go to the books. You acquire knowledge. But knowledge by itself is not enough. There's a lot of people that got PhDs in theology, but they, they're not saved. They got PhDs in theology, but they don't know Christ better than you know Christ. So knowledge now needs to be applied with self-control. And, and that's probably the biggest challenge that we have. If I tell you, oh, should you do this or that? You, you already know the answer. You already know, no, I should not steal. No, I should not do this. I should not use bad words. I should not. You already have that knowledge. But do you have the self-control? And we find ourselves in the same situation Paul was in Romans 7. Well, we know the truth. We know and, and, and in the law of our minds what we should do. But in our bodies, we don't know what we should do. And, and, and so um, Romans 7, Shelby, it goes like this. says, So I find this law at work, although I want to do good. That's in the mind. I, I'm good. I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law. At work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me, within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Now this is chapter 8. Therefore, 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen. And, and, and so the, the challenge that we have is in our minds, we want to do God's way. In our minds, we want to serve God. And, and, and the lie of the devil is that when you sin, it's for you to give up and for you to say, oh, you know what? You're not a real Christian. That is a lie. You are a real Christian. You are a real believer. But we have this sinful nature. There's a, a saying that says, when I got saved, I took the old man and, and, and I threw him overboard. But little did I know, he knew how to swim, right? So he always catches up. So when you find yourself in that situation, imagine yourself. You see, Paul, the apostle, great apostle, find himself in that same situation that you're finding yourself in now, where you want to do good, but you find that you're still doing bad. You want to behave in a way that is godly, but you still find yourself behaving in a way that is worldly. You, you, you have that battle inside of you. And the fact that you have that battle shows you that you are saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ. Because if you did not, if you were not saved, then you would just do it normal. You would just do it normal. But because you're saved, you have that battle inside. And he says, verse chapter 8, he says, Therefore, there is no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit. And you see, when we talk about self-control, the Bible says in Galatians 5 that self-control is one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. The more that you feed yourself with knowledge, the more that you look at God in prayer, what happens is now you're feeding the, the tree, right? And, and, and you, you, if you have, I know like here we don't have apples, but we have mangoes, right? We got mango trees. Whoever has a mango tree, do you ever find yourself going trying to uh, uh, change the, the mango itself? No. If you take care of the tree, the tree will give you good mangoes. If you take care of the orchard, it will give you good apples. So you have to take care of the tree so that you can have the fruit. If you take care of your spiritual life, the fruit of it will be self-control. And self-control is the application of the Word of God. That means what? That means it's so-called self-mastery. That means when, when you have to talk, you talk. When you have to be quiet, you be quiet. When you have to go, you go. When you have to stay, you stay. When you have to wait, you wait. When you have to act, you act. You're in full control because you're under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. When Peter denied Christ, he was out of control, right? He was overwhelmed by everything in his circumstance and now made him, that, that, that brought him to a place where he sinned. What was happening on the outside was overwhelming what was going on on the inside. But if you feed your spiritual life where you're strong on the inside, what happens on the outside is not going to shake your confidence. It's not going to shake you. If you have a hurricane, the storm that comes, right? If you have a, a certain type of trees, they're going to, like the, 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 the palm trees, they're going to resist the storm. Because they're made to face the storm. What is inside of them is going to allow them to withstand the storm. So to your faith, you had good virtue. To virtue, you, you add knowledge. And to knowledge, now you need to add self-control. And now when you decide, okay, you know, with your feet, you have self-control. But guess what? You're still going to fall. You're still going to fall. And, and, and that's the danger where you think because you did everything, I did all my effort, and then you ever try to do something and you're putting all your effort and then it, it gets turned down? 
You apply for a job, it gets turned down, or whatever it is, you put all your effort and it doesn't work. What happens? You tend to be discouraged. You tend to be uh, distracted. You, you tend to be disheartening. So that's why it's for self-control. You need to add perseverance. You need to add perseverance. And what perseverance is, is allowing God to work through you, to work in you. It's like, imagine you're at a workshop, and you're at God's workshop, and, and He's working on you, and you're a work in progress. When you're a work in progress, like a car, maybe you can take it for a spin and check out it, but it's not complete. You have to wait before, before it's complete. So if you try and it doesn't work, you don't throw the car away, you keep working on it. So if you find yourself where you committed, you, you know, you're, you're not living up to where you're supposed to be, you don't give up. You, you, you keep going because you're allowing God to work, to finish his work. And, and that's what we see in Peter's life. We see in Peter's life, Jesus called him. He was so like impulsive. Like he was always getting his, his foot in his mouth. He's always, he's the first one always doing things like in the same passage, in the same passage I shared, right? He said to Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of God. Boom. That was, that was great. Like, oh, and Jesus told him, man and flesh did not reveal that to you. My father in heaven revealed that to you. You're awesome. And you are a rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Matthew chapter 16. Same chapter. Jesus says, okay, you know what, guys? I got to go die at the cross. And, and, this, and the devil uses Peter now and say, no, no, don't go to the cross. Don't go die and save humanity. And Jesus, to the same guy, says, get behind me, Satan. And they're best friends. I don't, I don't suggest you tell that to your best friend. Imagine you're talking to your best friend and they, now get behind me. <laughs> That's not going to go. But Jesus said that to, 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 to Peter because he was impulsive and he could be used by God and he could be used by the enemy. He could go one way and he could go. But right even at that point, when Jesus called him, it says, you're a rock. You are a rock. A rock doesn't move. And I will build my church on that rock. It's because Christ is able to see you not as you are, but as you will become. And, and you see how you, as you are now, and you're like, oh man, that, that ain't great. But God sees how he is going to transform you. And he sees that's a great person. And he sees that you're going to be seated with him in heaven. And so don't be discouraged. Be perseverant. Be, keep going. Keep pushing. Keep, keep trying. Don't, don't. And a lot of times we get discouraged when we compare ourselves, right? We compare ourselves to other people. We get discouraged and we look at them on Instagram. How many people know Instagram is a lie? Yeah, Instagram is a lie. And that IG life, that's a lie, right? Um, so people show you like a nice picture, but they don't show you that two minutes before they were fighting. They don't show you that five seconds after they were fighting. You see the person with the car and the nice, nice Maserati. What they don't tell you is that it's not their car. They just saw it on the side of the street and they took a picture before the owner came. You ever did that? Yeah, yeah, now you take a picture and then, and then, we, we, we did that actually a couple of times. Like you see a Ferrari, take a picture. That's IG. But real life is tough. So you don't compare yourself. You don't, you don't, you don't condemn yourself. You don't cave in. You keep going. You keep persevering and you let God and understand that even the opinion that you have of yourself can be a lie. Can be a lie. 
So you don't believe what you think about yourself. You believe what God says about yourself. You believe what the first verse says, the promises that God has made towards you. The promises that that's what you believe. And he promised you, you are beloved. He promised you, I will not abandon you. He says, I won't, I, I won't abandon you. I won't forsake you. Psalm says, my mom and my dad, they can forsake me, but the Lord will not forsake me. He will, he will bring me up. God will not forsake you. God will not abandon you. He says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he asks of us that we forgive our neighbors, not seven times, but seven, 70 times, seven times. So if we have to forgive our neighbors so many times, how much more is he not going to forgive us? He is stronger than us. He is more faithful than us. So much that Paul says in Timothy, he says, you know what? When we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Because he made the promises with his mouth, he's not going to renege on his promise. Because he gave you a gift, he's not going to renege on the gift. He's going to stick with you till the end. So you have to stick with him till the end. Perseverance. Allow him to do the work. So you have faith. You believe and you accept Christ. You have virtue where you adopt God's ways. You have knowledge where you acquire the word of God. You have self-control where you apply the word of God. But then with perseverance, you get knocked down, you get back up. You get knocked down, you get back up where you're allowing God to work. And actually, when I wrote this, I was parted, right? Because as you allow God to work, that also means you need to allow yourself to get up. Sometimes we get knocked down. And hear me clearly. Sometimes we get knocked down. And because we got knocked down, we think we are not worthy anymore. We think that God is through with us because we have fall short of God. And I want to tell you this is a lie. We were never worthy in the first place. You know, whoever Scott, right here, me, I'm not more worthy than you. I'm not more worthy. I'm just appointed to do what I'm doing, but I'm not more worthy than you. The worship team, they're not more worthy than you. They're just appointed to do what they're doing. And God is going to appoint you to do what you're doing. So if you want, if you have that sense that God is calling you to do something and you feel you're not worthy, that is a lie. Because the worth is not in you, it's in Christ. The worth is in Jesus Christ. That's who makes us worthy to work for God. That's who makes us worthy. So as you persevere, you need to allow yourself to get back up. You need to allow yourself to get back in the presence of God. God already promised he's not going to reject you. He's going to receive you. If you come to him, he's going to receive you. And then, so when you, you have all of these and you have perseverance, then you attain what is the God's goal, which is a, the, the goal of godliness. It, it's a walk in a way that is, that is pleasing to God. It's a, it, it, it says, is someone's inner response to the things of God which shows itself in godly pity. How you respond, and now you're walking in a way that is making God proud. Now you're walking in a way that people see you, and they don't know you, but they ask you, are you Christian? Say, yeah, how do you know? Just something about you. It's just something about you. Why? Because now you're reflecting the image of Christ. You're reflecting the, the image of Christ. You're walking in a way. 
that is godly. And that's the goal. That's the goal of God. The goal of God for us is not for us to be millionaires. It's not for us to be rich. It's not for us to be poor. It's not for us to be on this side. It's not for us to be on that side. It's for us to be on his side and to walk in godliness and walk in a way that is pleasing to him. And, and, and so the, the godliness is, is reflected how? Mutual love. Mutual love. He says in, um, in the Gospels, they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, with everything that you got. But then there's a second commandment that is as important. So the first one is invalid if you don't have the second one. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself is love your neighbor as yourself. Your godliness is useless if it's not shared with other people. If you don't attend to other people's needs, if you don't, um, if you're not there for other people, if you're not um, loving on other people. I'm not saying that you're, um, what's her name? Uh, Mother Teresa. But you have a heart. And you love your, your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You, you, you share. And that's how you know a, a real Christian. That's how you know. Jesus says, people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you show to one another. You want to show that you're a Christian? Show love. You want to show that you're, you're faithful to Christ? Show be loving. The, the, biggest, the biggest wedding passage is what? It's 1 Corinthians 13. 13, right? Love is what? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is... And that's the, and that's how you know that you've attained a certain level. And then now one thing I want to make sure you understand. This is kind of like a circle. You never reach the top. You always, it says that if these things are increasingly abundantly in you, meaning you always grow in your faith, you always grow in virtue, you always grow in knowledge, you always grow in self-control, you always grow in perseverance, you always grow. And, and you grow in love. You grow where you, you learn how to love, where nobody has made it to the top, but you learn how to show compassion. You show how to love patience. And, 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 and you, you know, in this pandemic, there was a, um, one of the scientists said, um, because of how this virus transmits, she said, you should assume that everybody has the virus. That should be your assumption. Because you can have it and not have a symptom. You should like, so all y'all, you all have it. So I got to skip my distance, right? And I, I have it, so you got to keep your distance. But in a year like this one, you have to assume that everybody's suffering. That everybody has, is suffering. And suffering is the one thing that unites all humans. I don't care if you're born rich. You're going to suffer. I don't care if you're born poor. You're going to suffer. I don't care if you're black or white, Hispanic. You're going to suffer. At a certain point in your life, you're going to face something that is bigger than you. You're going to face something that is too hard for you. I don't care how many millions you got in the bank. There's some disease that gets you. Steve Jobs got it. it, it it's going to it's going to make you suffer. There's some stuff that happens to you. It's going to make everybody's going to go through it. So when you see somebody, understand that they might not tell you. But they might be going through something too. Yes, you, you, they did you wrong or whatever, but they're going through something too. There was a story they said that I heard. There was this guy. He had three boys and he's in the, he's dressed pretty nice and he's in the, the public transportation on the bus. 
And while he's on the bus, his sons, his kids, they're just jumping everywhere. Like, you ever been on the bus or at church? Uh, probably my kids actually at church, right? And they're jumping everywhere. And they're jumping everywhere. And they're making fun. And the people on the bus, you know, they're, they're getting, they're getting uh, exasperated until somebody says, well, can you put them under control, please? And the guy's like, oh, oh I'm, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. Uh, we just left their um, funeral for their mother, and I was not paying attention. I'm sorry. Oh, they just left the funeral, right? So now the people on the bus are like, oh, snap. They, they, these kids, they just lost their mom. Maybe we can tolerate them jumping around because they just loved, lost a loved one. And sometimes we see people, we judge them, but we don't see what's going on in their lives. We don't know what was happening before. But what Christian transformation does, what, what, what it means to grow in Christ, it means to grow in love. It means to grow where love is patient, so you're patient. Love is compassionate. Christ showed compassion. When they caught the adulterous woman, he didn't condemn her. He redeemed her. And when we approach someone, are we condemning or are you, are we redeeming? So to our faith, we add goodness and virtue. To virtue, we add knowledge. To knowledge, we add self-control. To self-control, we add perseverance. To godliness, we add mutual love. It's, uh, the word is Philadelphia. So if you ever see about the city of Philadelphia, they call it the city of brotherly love. That's brotherly affection. But there's a love that is greater than that. It's agape love. Agape love. And agape love, that's a love by which Christ loves us. Agape love is a sacrificial love. It's the love that doesn't look at oneself. It's the love that looks at other people. And, and Martin Luther King said about agape love in his message, he says, Agape is something of the understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. It is a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overflowing love. It's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of men. And when you rise to love on, on this level, you begin to love men, not because they are likable, but because God loves them. When you see somebody, understand this. Whether they did you wrong, whether they... God loves them. The same God that sent his son to die on the cross for you, sent him to die on the cross for them. How can you not love somebody that God loves? How can you call yourself a, a, a child of God, but not love the other person that's also a child of God? And sometimes when we look at the divisions that we have in, in, in this country or, or whatever, we ask ourselves, do these people understand that eventually you all will be sharing a street in heaven? You're, you're, that guy that you don't like, he might become your neighbor in heaven. So if we, we, we're going to get along in heaven, trust me, we might as well start here to get along and be careful and be caring about other people. And Martin Luther King continues, he says, agape is disinterested love. Agape does not begin with discriminating between worthy and unworthy people or any qualities people possess. It begins by loving others for their sakes. Therefore, agape makes no distinction between friend or enemy, is directed towards both. So this morning as we close, as you add to your faith virtue, 
and you add to that virtue, that sense that you want to serve God, that you, you add knowledge of the Word of God, you study the Word of God, and to your understanding of the Word of God, you add self-control, where you, you control yourself. And if with self-control, then you add perseverance, where, where you, you know, you want to keep going no matter what. It doesn't matter what happens to me, I'm going to keep going until I'm in front of those golden gates. I'm going to keep persevering. And then through perseverance, now you, you, you walk in godliness. And with godliness now, godliness is showed by the love that you show to other people. And the greatest love is agape love, where you're not thinking about yourself. And it doesn't matter if the person in front of you is Haitian or not Haitian, if they're Haitian or Jamaican, if they're black or they're white, if they're Hispanic or Asian, it doesn't matter. It, matters, it doesn't matter if they're your friend or your enemy. You're going to love them because God loves them. Let us pray. Father God, this morning we ask that you add to our faith the power that we need so that we can become more like you. We ask that you add to our faith that that, 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 that power, God, that, that, that fruit, that, that water of the Holy Spirit that changes our lives, that changes our lives, that, that, that we can bear good fruit so that we might not be like children of, of, of darkness, but that we might be children of light and that we might love the way that you love, that we might show compassion that the way that you show compassion, that we might reach out to the person in need and offer a hand, that we might be in our homes, people who add and not people who subtract, that we might be in our workplaces, people who add, people who represent you in a way that is faithful, that people can see and say, yes, that person, I can believe that they are Christian. And that we can show your glory to this world. And I pray, God, that you allow us. And I pray for the hearts that are heavy, that you give them that sense of perseverance. That you give them that courage to keep going and to keep fighting. That you give them that sense of your presence. Because your divine power, your divine presence is what is going to keep us going. And we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.